if you have your scripture, it's going to pop up on the screen, uh, Revelation's fifth chapter, and then we'll jump over to chapter 7. It says this, and this is the word of God. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and, and golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Chapter 7, verse 15 says this. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They will hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb is in the midst of the throne, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the scripture. Use it to change us today. Use it to give us comfort today. Use it, Lord, to, to open a new place in our hearts and lives for your grace to grow in us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Such a grand vision here in Revelation. And what we see here is that it starts with having a king, right? Who has the power and a promise to do whatever he wants to do through us and in us and in this world. Our family had Easter dinner with, a, with another family in our church who has five children. And with two of them being Ethiopian, you can imagine that they are a family of more than one culture. And, and some of the things they were telling us about Ethiopia made me kind of curious. And you don't since I don't come here a lot, and y'all don't, a lot of y'all don't know me, I'm addicted to um, documentaries. So when I heard there was something I didn't know, I decided to look at every Netflix, Amazon, stuff online, anything I could read 
about Ethiopian culture. And I read up and learned more about the legendary Ethiopian king, Haile Selassie, whose original name I learned is Tafari. And like the kings and queens of England, when, when they become king or queen, they change their name. He became, uh, when he became king, he changed his name to Haile Selassie, but he was originally Tafari, as in Ras Tafari, right? As in Rastafarian for those who worshiped him as the second coming of Jesus. Now, he personally denied this, but you can see, and after I read, looked at these documentaries and read up on, this, on him, how much respect this man garnered. In fact, he was known to his people, and especially those who came to worship him, as the conquering lion. And you can imagine why after 55 years of ruling over a people of 83 different languages with up to 200 different dialects and 80 different ethnic groups in one country, that he was well-respected by his people because he was benevolent and progressive and engaging and diplomatic between all the tribes and languages and tongues and people in his country kind of leader. He made all kinds of trips deep into the countryside to all these tribal groups and attempt to bring unity and respect and progress while defending Ethiopia from colonization and, and fascist Italy. And as much as I respect the late Haile Selassie as a leader of his time and a fellow man of color trying to retain dignity in what was a highly aggressive imperialistic world, he was not the Lion of Judah. He was not the conquering Lion. And as the head of the church in Ethiopia back in the day, King Selassie would agree that the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the conquering Lion, was just a nickname out of respect for him. But the real Lion of Judah is right here in Revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the conquering Lion, the Lamb of God, who by his power not only covers people with his blood sacrifice, but this scripture is explaining conquers people with the power of his love. And it is this Lord who calls people to be the small K kings and small Q queens like King Selassie in this world to expand and spread and the, the benefits and dignity of Jesus' kingdom to, to a diverse world of people. And we see this kingdom of people mentioned here in verse 9 in chapter 5. It says this, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to open the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This tells us the Lord is going to reach and then use a diverse group of people who will then in turn engage this world with what I would describe as the lion's share, right? That's Jesus' size share of grace and love and power with the world. A part of that diverse group of people that you see in Revelation represented in this vision is right here in this room, in this church. You are those people. You are a part of that diverse group. But it is not only you. You should see in this vision in Revelation, but you joined by those whom God has used you in this room to engage and reach with the gospel. But how can we do it? Look at this room, right? 
Look at us. Look at our limitations. Think about it. How? Three things I see in this passage that we're going to look at today. By, make, by Jesus making and calling us, first of all, to be a people of prayer. Secondly, people, and I have a little rhyme so y'all can remember. Um, a people of prayer. Secondly, a people who are there. And finally, a people who are willing to share. Okay, got that? Prayer, there, and share. John's vision takes us into the spiritual throne room of God. And Revelation, when you, when you get into the, what's behind it, what happens there will affect what happens on earth. And the Bible tells us that John is frustrated to tears because he wants the scrolls, right? Which are God's plans on how God is going to save humankind. He, he wants that enacted. So he wants the seals, you know, the, the little uh, wax seals that, that hold the thing tight. I, I, I would describe it in modern day times as, as like your password. You got to put it in and it locks a document or, or lock it in, you know, and it won't open. And every time, who can open it? Nobody knows the code, bump, you know, and, and it makes a bad noise, right? So John is frustrated because he knows that those seals on those scrolls, when they're opened up and let loose, they can change the world. And he's frustrated because there's so much suffering and emptiness and inhumanity in the world that he lives in. Well, the Bible says that finally the Lamb of God, Jesus, God's Son, who is also described as the Lion of Judah in this passage, says, I came, I lived and died as a human to save the humans. I am God too. I got what it takes and did what it takes to open it up. I'm the one and everyone and everything gets happy up there in heaven. We don't know exactly who these elders around the throne are, but look what happens as they celebrate and what they're holding in verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, it says, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They're holding the prayers of the saints. Well, who are the saints? They appear to refer in, in part to the people, remember, that represent believers in verse 9 and 10. And like John, they are praying, and when we, when we look at chapter 7, they are praying with tears and frustration of the world, right? They are praying for help and hope that they see in their God, and their prayers are held up to God in these bowls like incense. There is a song from the Old Testament written by King David that describes his prayers like this. He says, oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted, he says, as incense before you and the lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. Prayer, and I'm going to add praise. Praising God, they are indistinguishable oftentimes and work hand in hand. But these prayers and praise of God's people are not just what God wants people to do just to do it. Just as an exercise only of their faith. And, and, and say, so you can say, I did it. To feel holy and good and check it off a routine list. I hope that's not all it is to us. Because here they are integral to world change. These prayers are integral to, to, to mission, to the scrolls having their good way, to God's grace coming on earth for people. 
I understand the Old Testament sacrificial system. When, when that lamb sacrifice, I call it barbecue smoke, went up, it beckoned, as in God, come God, answer God, be God, as in getting his attention. It, it, it beckoned God like a lighthouse, as in over here, right here, in this thing, Lord, come into this problem, come into this issue, like a spiritual homing device. But it is saying to the world, but not because rather God is lost or doesn't know where to go or see, but it is saying to the world and to us, And to God, God is going to be in this situation because his people have lit this smoldering prayer fire. And God is pleased to get involved and be recognized as the Lord who is over it and involved in it and in charge of it. I grew up in a household as a kid where you didn't grill out a lot, right? Today, we have the gas grills. You go out there, you grill When I grew up, it was either Saturday or 4th of July or somebody was coming over, right? It was special. Prayer is saying, like an incense, that God is here, right? That that we've called our Lord, that he's coming over, that he's going there, that that he's actually going to take his place as we pray as a guest of honor, an agent of change in this thing or in this dilemma or in this celebration or this good thing happened. But there's something about this aroma that is different. The aroma of our prayers and praise to God, it's pleasing and calling to him. And God gets involved because the prayers and praise smell like the sacrificial lamb. It's almost like when you do smell somebody grilling in your neighborhood, right? I get hungry immediately right? I get jealous. Sometimes I might even open my grill. I might not have money for some chicken or some, you know, sometimes I smell, I'm like, that's steak right there. (laughs) Yeah, that's a ribeye. I I can smell the fat burning. Like, hey, how y'all doing? Good to see y'all neighbors. What's, what's, huh? What's going on? Show is hungry. Like, you know, The smell of the Lamb of God, y'all, in sacrifice, in and on the prayers of those who are believers, smell like what pleases God. Our prayers smell like his perfect son, and it beckons and says to us in our world, right, that God is being called and is coming to work here. He's in this. He is interceding. He is answering us in his way, in his time, and his season, but we don't have to worry because when we pray, we know he is there. So prayer and praise are central to the movement of God on earth. So what happens on Sundays in this service is not just something you come and do real quick, right? It's Mission Sunday, right? No, it's Mission Sunday every Sunday as the people of God are praying for the world. Not only on in Sunday, but in your personal time. It's just not a personal prayer time or just about a communal or personal relationship with God. The prayers and praise are used by God to put in motion change and redemption for this world that we see represented in the scrolls. When you worship, when believers worship, the world is about to change. When you pray, the world is changing, which, guess what, is good news for all the tribes and tongues and people and nations and problems and issues they're dealing with and we're dealing with all around us. 
You ever just watch? Yeah, you do. Hear and read the news? You're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to hear now? Right? What can I do? I, I, I can't be in the cabinet. Right? I, 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 I can't run for office. That ain't my thing, right? I, I can't make a change. Or, or you hear the news about this going on in Syria and this going on in this country and this going on over here. And if you watch a lot of documentaries, you learn all kind of things about this little people group who are trapped here or being mistreated. And I mean, it is overwhelming and exasperating. You hear about the food situation, economy. I mean, it goes on and on and on. What can I do? What can be done to change this? What can be done to comfort those folk? What can be done to make God see that that these people are being mistreated or manipulated? Or we heard about, you know, the the, the life prayer um, um, group that's praying over there um, near where our church was. We used to have our offices in that same area. What do we do about these people being uh, overlooked or this big mess over, the, over there? And I have no real power and influence to change what is going on in their minds or, or that organization or that country or that corporation or, 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 or what's going on in our government. You know, we, we, we look at those things and, and it is so hard because we think we are so different than some of those people around us. Ethnically, we're different. Socioeconomically, we're different. I'm too culturally insensitive. I'm too conservative. They watch MSNBC. I watch Fox News, right? I'm too black. I'm too white. I'm too brown. Or maybe they are, right? And so the mission stops oftentimes due to our lack of ability to get over there or break through with our weak attempts. But did we miss what happens here in Revelation? The prayers of God's people, the saints, are influential and powerful for world change. That's why you see all the tribes and languages and tongues here. It's not just because people in those locations prayed. It's because the church who's part of the universal church prayed for all those locations. And so we set, prayer sets the atmosphere and landing strip and drop zone, if you will, of God's presence and power in the world for all things and all people groups where no one, hear me, no one or no issue is unreachable or too powerful for him to overcome if we are praying about it. But in order to engage the world with prayer and praise, we must be a people who are there for the world. As those moved by God and moved for the world. Let's look again at verse 9 and 10. We're going to wear verse 9 and 10 out, it seems like today. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And it says this in verse 10. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This verse is saying that believers, yeah, you, believers in here, you church folk in here, are a kingdom of priests. 
Now, we need to go back to the Old Testament, the old days of the Bible, to get a clearer understanding of what this means for us today. You see, the priest in ancient Israel was a town spiritual leader whose whole life was about representing and being a mediator or, or go-between God. He was the, the go-between God and the outside world of people. They were the ones moved by God to give the world what God has for them. Um, and I would describe them sort of like the spiritual baristas of the day, right? They had the contact with the stuff you need to change your life. They work behind the, covenant, the, the counter. They were God's customer service people. My son Harrison went in to apply for a job at Starbucks, and um, the lady came up front, the manager, and she was like, I want you to realize we're not employees in here. And I was like, what? Things just got serious. We just came to get an application, lady, you know. So I'm thinking, what's going to happen? Is this a cult or something? You know, what, what, what's happening? Don't, don't, get the, don't get the green mock, I mean, the green thing. Just, just wait a minute. Let's see what she has to say because she sounded like me, right? This is more than just coming to church. This is about a relationship, right? She said, we're not employees. We're partners. That's what we call ourselves. I'm like, all right, I like that. We believe in the company and the values. We just don't sell coffee. We represent what Starbucks is about. So if you want a job here, you need to go online, research, see what we're about, to see if you even want to be a partner with what we're about. I'm like, okay, going on now. Man, that'd be great if, if we church, churches did that sometimes. You need to know, right? You, you're a partner. So, so the Bible talks about the priest as people who are the partners, right? Um, who, who, who can get in the presence of God and meet with God and get the stuff, right? They could get the spiritual order from God so others could experience God through them. But the New Testament has refined that idea, y'all. Because now it says that believers are not just like priests and that they have been with God and in God's presence and, and thus representatives of God in the world. But the Bible teaches that through Christ, now God is in them. Now that changes everything. His presence lives in them. And that's what makes them priests. They're priests from the inside to the outside world. So it means this. That priests for the Lord are no longer confined to a certain special, super spiritual people group or place or temple or season or time of year. Or they only act like they represent God on Sundays or when they're on the clock. But they are what? Always priests of God because God's spirit always lives in them. You know what that means? Believers automatically... Okay, this is every Christian. I, I, you know, I accepted Jesus in college or I accepted him, you know, it, 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 while I was driving on the road. Like, it, but something incredible happened at the moment you came to faith. Every single person in this room that came to faith in Christ are automatically in effective full-time ministry. That's right. Not the guys who get paid to do it like Pastor Adam and me, right? We're like 
We equip you, right? We, we give you stuff so that you can do the effective ministry, the full-time ministry. Like being a kingdom of priests means there is nothing you do, here now, there is nothing you do or should be doing that shouldn't be defined and empowered by the mission and movement of God. You know, you go to work and you get, you get put your outfit on or you put your tag on. Some of you have the little thing down here and you're scanning to get into the bank or whatever, right? If you are a believer, you always wear the spiritual um, uh, vestments, if you will. It's on the inside, right? You, you, but you're always on the job. Now, some of us might just be a slack priest. I know I am a lot of times. My neighbor, oh man, I'm so afraid to tell my neighbor. Like, he knows I'm a pastor and he's no, real nervous around me, and I'm real nervous around him too. How are you doing this morning? How are things going? I don't know, I'm off the clock right now. I'm just, meet me at the office and then, then I'll be Pastor Brown. I'm just a little nervous right now, you know? Right? But, but, but this is, we're, we're always on the clock. You, you might, you're just hiding right now, but if you're a believer because God lives in you by faith in Jesus, because he is present in you, because he is present in you forever, you have been ordained spiritually as a believer who is now moved by God in everything they do. Your life belongs to him. So now, your job is not just a job. Your recreations are not just recreations. And how and why you do it, now, it's still enjoyable, y'all, okay? But how and why you do it belong to the priesthood now. In fact, I would argue, and this is a different sermon, that they are more enjoyable now, right? But it changes everything about everything you do and everyone you come in contact with every day, everywhere you do it, for the rest of your life. So there's more about the priesthood thing, the thing I want you to see, though. The priest is not just moved by God. They're moved by the world. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I saw a movie or something. But you ever see those creepy masks people wear where um, they have the face on the front and the face on the back? I hate those things, right? Because you don't know if you're talking to the person and if they do the crisscross thing where they put the clothes faces on the back too, you don't know which is the front. Okay. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just scared of that, you know. That's you. If you're a believer. Not to scare people or because you're two-faced. That's not necessarily a good thing. But you have a single purpose as a priest in everything you do and all that you are, which is this, that you face God. We talked about this, right? So, so, so you face God, you're moved by him in your heart, and then you have this outward-facing life. You're the person we see as you in the flesh. You're someone's next-door neighbor, or you're someone's boss, or you're someone's employee, or you're a teacher, or a mother, or a husband, or a Fortnite online partner, Right? Don't act like you don't play that for five or six hours at a time. Or some of your kids don't. I know you want to break, break the play as PS4 and Xbox down. Sometimes I want to throw my kids out the window. But I realize that the PS4 is mine. <laughs> Dad, we're just using what you brought into the house. Leader of the house. Anyway, but th that, that means... God calls us to be people who face this world to see it and listen to it. And know what? We let it impact us. 
We're called to turn our lives to have relationship with others and the world's institutions and issues and brokenness and beauty and civilization, which means God has called you to be priests in your vocations and family roles again and recreations and creativity and housework and chores and schoolwork and everything in between to be there, right? To be actively present and being in the spot or in the place, actively listening for ways God can use you to intercede or intervene or protest or interrupt or involve ourselves if necessary. And that will mean, like John here, we are called to live and work and put ourselves in that in-between feeling, right? We're... Um, you see God's promises, like you can look at Scripture, you, you've experienced grace, you've experienced love, but as a priest in this world, as someone who is moved by the world and God, you're kind of in that tension. Like God's called us to live in that tension of the already and not yet and in the future, right? You're called to live in a tension between a world that is suffering, right? And you're not called to escape it. Right? You're, we're not called to, to go find the most comfortable place to be so that we can finally worship God. That's not what this text is saying. It, it, John is frustrated and he has tears in his eyes, not just because something is wrong, because he, but because he's in the right place as a person who is a go-between God's truth and the world's brokenness. God is calling us to be in the middle, y'all. To feel that pain. Sometimes I wonder, is this what, is this what being a believer is supposed to feel like? Like, gosh, I feel so frustrated. You turn on TV, what's going on? You turn on your own life, what's going on, right? Welcome to the priesthood. Welcome to mission. Welcome to tears, right? Welcome to some sleepless nights. Welcome to, for some of you, welcome to your prayer life for the first time. <laughs> Sometimes people are like, I don't know what I have to do to have an active prayer life. Be involved in people's lives besides yours. You will. Look out at the world. Be in the place where there's suffering. And there's issues where your life is the only life that matters. God is calling us to be there, but be there to share. To share our privileges and share as people a privilege. So I know the contribution of people, especially historical people, can be greatly exaggerated. And when I studied some more on King Selassie, I realize regardless of all his attempts, he cannot overcome the famine and tribal feudal injustices going on in his own country. But the most awesome caricature I got from what I learned about him was that he used his position to reign. 
as a fallen, broken, imperfect leader, he used his place, his calling to be a world leader, his privilege, his life for the benefit of the people God had put around and under him. Look with me at verse 5 in chapter 5 again. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then look again at verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And listen to this. And they shall reign on the earth. Now I understand that you know, Revelation is, is future, and so we're also looking at a future reality. But Revelation is like an onion, right? It has many layers. Um, and so um, th- this is true in this present layer that we live in in life, right? This time, this season, it is still true that God is calling us now to reign with a future hope of finally reigning on an earth that is free of sin and free of struggle. But we're still called to reign. Jesus, the conquering lion, right? The one who defeated all the enemies known to humanity by destroying and overcoming sin and death in the grave. He expects people, especially and in particular you Christians out there, to reflect his kingdom rule and reign in their everyday lives, which means using our God-given places and privileges to better the world around us. The world should be, and I know this sounds all corny and hokey, right? But the world should be a better place to live in for everyone, Christian and non-Christian, because you, believer, are in it. When I was at Clemson, I remember taking a class on African history, and it just kind of merged into some of the stuff I'm looking at. And we studied the colonization of Africa, the continent, and there was this conclusion, that in the long run, the continent of Africa as a whole, as a people group, Groups were left worse off after colonization than they would have if, so-called, if the so-called modern world had never come in the way that it did. President FDR, after World War II, dogged his European allies for advancing and becoming rich from the colonization and takeover of countries they claimed to be helping but they in turn left in the dark ages. You know, he asked them, how is it that your European countries are so advanced and these other countries are still living three and four hundred years behind? And it was discovered they took the resources, but they really didn't care for the people. This is what the conquering lion Jesus and his kingdom of people came to do. Look at chapter 7 in this passage with me. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Now remember we talked about the priesthood and serving God, never off. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them from his presence. And it says this, they shall hunger no more, 
neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here's what believers, Christians who claim to be of Jesus, need to ask. Is my world better or bettering for others? Like, is this, is this mission, is this part of the mission here? For the nations, not just for me, not just for my people group, not so I can check off, oh, you know, and, and trust me, every church has it. We have it too. Oh, Mission Sunday. Okay, we checked that off. We got it. We, we, did, we, did, we did our discipleship plan. Click. Everybody did mission. Anybody did any short-term missions? Okay, good, great. But are, the, are we just kind of doing colonizing kind of missional efforts, Right? where our whole goal is to get more out of it for our personal discipleship than to actually see real institutional and national change for people? These are hard questions. These are hard issues to deal with. But, but there is a demand from Scripture here. And I know we look at it and say, oh, this is all spiritual, and this is all happening in heaven. No, these Scriptures are talking about some on-earth justice issues. When it talks about the sun shall beat them no more. This is talking about uh, uh, work regulations, right? This is talking about people being treated rightly. This is talking about injustice. And our missional role shouldn't just be that we expand Presbyterianism or we expand our American version of evangelicalism. It's so, that is so limited. And if we, if we just keep it there, we, we don't do... Here's what we need to ask ourselves. Is the world better than nations? Are the diverse people groups living and represented and underserved in Monroe better in Indian Trail are they looking at or what we're we doing? Are they saying, man, the people that come out that building on Sunday, my goodness, they wiped some tears from my eyes. They gave me a reason to hope in real life, right, in how they live. I saw this person at the neighborhood meeting, you know, they're for my school. They're not just trying to get over to a different county and a different school for their kids. They were at a meeting for my kids, too. Wow! They must really be believers. Because of our presence, is it just, are we just better in trying to get better? You know, we, we make a joke, and man, I am so off script right now. Like, we, we make such, and some of you are part of a Presbyterian PCA church, and so there's many of them like that at our church too, and, and I'm probably one of them. You know, oh, we left the prosperity gospel, right? We, we want to be in a church that teaches the word of God, right, and, and, and teaches grace. And yet the way we treat capitalism as believers, evangelical believers, it is a prosperity gospel, guys. If we use our Christianity as just another stronghold of our privilege, and now we define our privilege as being what? Oh, we doing it the right way. We do biblical finances. We save. We do all this. We don't get in debt. And we kind of have this sense of righteousness as American Christians, and it completely derails our mission. 
the scripture saying something really awesome? It is saying your privilege, because I looked at this and I was really surprised when I looked at chapter um, 5 and, and, and it says this in verse 12. It says, worthy is the lamb who was slain, listen to this, to receive power and what? Wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So I want us to look at those things mentioned here, wealth and wisdom, um, technology, and all, all kind of things that would go on to, that, that may describe, that th- these verses may describe. I, I want you to know something. Um, those things are not bad or evil in and of themselves, right? But if you have a share, I call it the lion's share, a share of Christ's privilege in those things, right? Those are given to you by Jesus as gifts of his kingdom, and they don't belong to you. Right? So, oh, man, I make this, or or we get to live over here, and, oh, we live in this kind of house neighborhood for our children. Come on, man. Right? It's a privilege of God to have honor to have dignity, right? To be in positions and, and, and even in race and, I mean, ethnic groups of privilege or, or positions of class, class positions and, and even um, inheritances that you've gotten from, oh, I hear it, my people really worked hard. Okay, come on. Do we believe in grace or do we believe in works, right? Like your people worked hard and, oh, granddaddy did this and he got off the boat and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And that's why we got it. And we make excuses for our privilege. You know why we make those excuses? So that we can own them and use them the way we want to. And so we don't feel guilty about having them. Let me, not make, let me help you re- alleviate yourself from feeling the guilt of privilege and ha- you having to make up a lie about what it means to be privileged, right? Your privilege is not yours. It's an expense account from the kingdom, right? Like you you go to your job, don't you have to turn your receipts in, right? You don't just go and get what you want. Your privileges of position or whatever you have, and it's not just monetary privilege. It's all kind of privileges in here. Some of you have been through some things. You have wisdom and insight of some issues, and you can cut it off from other people. And this is saying God has given you a lion's share expense account in your privilege to missionally impact the world. And this is what it looks like. Are people's are tears being wiped from people's eyes? Are they sharing in the privilege that you have, which is this privilege ultimately? Because the other stuff's just an expense account, right? God likes us to go it to go down to zero by the end of our lives, by the way, that we've exhausted all of our privileges, places, positions, jobs, recreations, everything we do for his glory. He loves it when it goes to zero. Our executive pastor and finance person at our church, he hates it when my expense count goes to zero, right? God loves it, right? He loves for us to burn the sails of our lives and, and leave that inheritance of grace to our kids, right? I heard one commentator said that the scrolls are the title deed of mankind's inheritance. And it's the only thing that's going to free him from the fall. 
you are God's people. Grace and power and dignity and honor are your inheritance. You have experienced Christ wiping tears from your eyes. You've experienced the richest human who ever walked the earth, Christ, giving it all, taking it to zero, right? To save your soul. Ultimately, what it means to be a people of privilege is be a people who have the inheritance of God's grace in our lives. That's what motivates us. That's what drives us. That Christ in his love, he came and he conquered our souls. And he didn't hold back, y'all. Nobody in this room who's a believer. God did not hold back in Jesus Christ for you. He gave you the lion's share, his share of righteousness and love and grace. And man, I love it. Like I, I, you know, we have different personalities on our staff. I'm the spender, okay? The deacons don't like me. <laughs> right? I'm the spender. And I sure feel rich when it's somebody else's money. Boy, I love it. Let's get this. Well, why don't you use your own money? Ah, uh, maybe we can hold back. I'm doing that with my boys now. Dad, can we eat out? We're so hungry. Can we go to McDonald's? And I know they have a little cash. Okay, I'll buy it for you, but I'm going to need that cash when we get home. That's all right. We'll just wait till we get home, right? <laughs> you can be a people of prayer. You can be a people who are there, and you can be a people who share. Because you're living on Christ's share, y'all. You're spending his grace on the world, and it is not your might, and it is not your power, and it is not his, your love. It's his. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much um, that you have called us to be missional in the world with the lion's share of your grace. Please, Lord, I pray that you would show us anew what you've actually given us. That you would show us anew the grand and great inheritance that is ours, that make us people of privilege. And like people of privilege, let us spend it all and use it all to share the good news. I pray for people here, leaders in the marketplace, people who go to work every day and up at the bank or go to some office or teachers who go to school every day and mothers who get up every day and fathers who get up every day to take care of kids and, and students who go do their schoolwork, Lord. I pray, Lord, that each and every day that they would know the inheritance that they have in Christ and that feel the great privilege of what it means to live on the lion's share for Christ has bought. Be with this congregation in Monroe, in Indian Trail area, down here. Be with them. Show them how great your love and grace is. Show them how powerful, how you can conquer and, and, and go in and, and make a difference of love in all these communities around them, all these people groups.
Let, let us not hold on to our inheritance and be stingy with the grace of God. You weren't with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.